Today is going to be a delight. We have with us our special guest, who is Christine Lang. She wrote the book, The Body Whisperer, Your Symptoms, Tell Me Your Truth. Now, I'm not super sharp about alternative medicine or things like that. It's one of my many, many, many blind spots. So I brought a couple other people on the show who are previous guests to kind of join in. We'll have a lively discussion. Jenny Aguilar was on an early episode of Unstructured. I believe it was around episode eight. And Jenny is an expert on brain injury. She is, had to be around it because her son suffered multiple concussions. And she learned about how to recover in alternative manners and live with the consequences of traumatic brain, brain injury. And the other guest is Dave Freeze, who has been on a couple of shows or a couple episodes. And Dave Freeze does seems like everything, but <laughs> he is well, nothing. <laughs> he is a uh, master hypnotist. He um, practices an influence, but he also is into alternative medicine. His wife does hypnobirthing, so. He's bringing another perspective, and we'll get into uh, another skill he has in the past. So, how is everybody doing today? Doing great. Good. Good. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, Christine, to get things rolling, can we get your origin story? I understand that um, you were studying to be a lawyer and actually became a lawyer. Yes. Before you, well, kind of took a 180 on your career turn. Can we go through that? <laughs> um yeah, I was in law school and during my second year of law school developed allergies. And it was back before the days of the meds they have now that you can take that don't make you drowsy. So my my options were to take a Benadryl and then drink Diet Coke all day to stay awake in my law school classes or just walk around with a box of tissues, sneezing and, you know, looking really attractive. Both options were awful. So when I graduated law school, I was practicing law and was in-house counsel for a big bank and did that for num- for three or four years. But alongside of that began a voracious study of what was then called alternative medicine. Now they probably call it integrated medicine and, and just started pursuing all different forms from Chinese herbs to, you know, studying a bit about um, Reiki or energy healing, flower essences, homeopathy, um, and started making some real progress on healing my allergies. And just, okay, so your allergies, they weren't as bad then when you were at the bank versus at school? or it, They just, using different homeopathic remedies in particular, started helping. And I started making a connection. If my stress levels were higher, my allergies were worse. That was the first connection I made. So I started um, doing yoga and Tai Chi. I tried to meditate, but I was terrible at it. So it took me a couple of years to get to get into a meditation practice and started studying Buddhism and Taoism and, and really started learning how to control my stress levels a bit. And, and I eventually learned how to do Reiki energy healing. And I would say to my girlfriends, Hey, you know, when I come home from, from what is that? If you Reiki don't like is it. energy healing where you bring energy into your body and then channel it out through your hands. 
And a lot of nurses are now practicing it in major hospitals. In fact, a lot of insurance companies are now covering it as part of the hospital protocol of treatment. It speeds up the healing process because we're, we're all running on energy every day anyway. So to add extra high vibrational or positive vibrational energy to the body speeds up what it's naturally going to do. It doesn't like a massage. I'm, t- I'm trying to visualize it. Is it like a massage or something or? No, your hands, when I'm giving somebody energy, my hands stay about six to eight inches above the body. So I don't touch the person, but energy is coming out and they will usually say they feel heat and tingling from the energy going in. It actually, the reason they feel heat and tingling, it works under the theory of displacement. If you picture a glass of water and you drop a rock in it and the water is the heavy, dense energy in your body. And the rock is the new, the new positive energy that comes in. It displaces that much water. Well, if I'm adding high vibrational energy into the body, it displaces the lowest vibrational energy. And as they pass by each other, it creates heat or friction. And so people will say they feel tingling, they feel heat. And that is this, that's their way of recognizing that that's happening. Hmm. Okay. Is that something you do, Jenny? No, but I definitely know what it is and have uh, friends and relatives who became practitioners. It's actually fairly common. Like, I, I think you could go to almost any mid-sized town and you'd find a Reiki practitioner. Okay. I've heard the term before, but I'm just kind of like... That's cool. And I'm, I'm sorry. Go on, please, Christine. Okay, please. sure. Um, so, I once I learned how to do that, I started offering to practice on friends. And I would say, you know, let me come home, take off my lawyer suit and just sit and meditate just to change channels in my brain, get on a different track. And then I would give them an energy treatment. And in those meditations that I would sit and do before I gave them energy, I started like hearing things or having a knowing. And I would hear this voice that sounded similar to my own voice in my head, but a little different. And it would just give me a phrase or a description that related to the emotional state of the, per- the friend I was going to give energy to. So for instance, a woman was having back pain. And when I was sitting and meditating, my, I heard this voice that just said, fight with her husband about buying a new car. I'm like, what? And it just, and then I mentioned that to her and she said, yes, my back started hurting last night when I was fighting with my husband about buying a new car. How do you know that? And I'd say, I don't really know how I know that. Did and, you... Did you see her beforehand or no, before she even came up, you were just filling in the room and no. it just came to you? I was sitting in meditation and the, this, like the awareness came to me, like some sort of knowing of like, this is, this is what was happening. And so after the third time when this occurred with three different friends, the person said, who are you talking to that, you know, who is telling you this stuff? And I said, I really don't know. And I went back upstairs, sat in my meditation chair and just sat in meditation and said, who am I speaking to? And my spirit said, welcome home. And I just had tears running down my face that I couldn't really explain. And, and she said, this is who you came here to be. I want to start explaining what you're starting to pick up. And so I started sitting in meditation for two or three hours a day and taking notes. And she would say, this is what it's going to feel like when somebody has blood pressure medication in their system. And this is what it's going to look like when somebody's kidneys are really dehydrated. And this, and I just started taking notes and paying attention to what she was showing me. My friends got better told friends of theirs. And pretty soon I had a practice because I was offering energy treatments to people that I'd never met before. So I had no way of knowing anything about them. And I would say, don't tell me anything before you show up, you know, other than what you want to come for. Um, and then I would sit in meditation before they arrived. And I would just know some things that were what I call emotional causation factors. 
So when, when doctors say stress will make your condition worse, you know, the, the very natural question is, okay, but what stress makes it worse? And how do I deal with that? And how do I break that down? Because it's impossible to live a stress-free life. So sure. how do you know which stressors are giving you, you know, digestive issues or migraines and which stressors are just an annoyance? And so I was sort of being shown this trail of damage. And how so, to jump back a little bit, mm-hmm. you were being, uh, I mean, it does sound a little bit different. You were tr- <laughs> being trained by a voice that was similar to yours yeah. with a specificity, like you were going to class, like, yes, here is a symptom and you may recognize this. I mean, can you, is that a fair description or it's, it is a fair description and to the, to the, to who I was at the time, this lawyer who wanted everything to have a big body of evidence with it and be really concrete. It was wigging me out a little bit like, okay, am I going to, you know, end up in some, you know, straitjacket somewhere because I'm really just a crazy person. And, and yet each per each person that came for a treatment would validate that what I was hearing was accurate. Was there a correlation though? Because you had mentioned that it said, Hey, if you see this, it'll be the symptom. If you see this, it'll be that. Was it, oh, you got trained up on the symptom because the next person coming through the door had the symptom or yes. you got a general lesson? Um, there was a lot of correlation and and things that, you know, some like I had somebody come and he called me and said, you know, I don't really know who you are. You don't know who I am. Um, but my wife came to see you for her migraines and now she hasn't had one in two months and I'm supposed to have knee surgery and can I come see you? And I said, well, I don't know that I can prevent a knee surgery, but sure, come on over, you know, on Wednesday evening when I get home from work. And I, as I sat in meditation before he arrived, I heard that, you know, it was his right knee because the right side of your body represents your future and the left side represents your past. And he was really nervous about stepping into this future because he was about to go out on his own and his own business. And when he got there, I shared that with him and he said, oh my God, that's, that's true. And the day I gave notice is when my knee started really bothering me. And so he validated that. And then I'd heard a couple other tips for him from his spirit of like, here's where your limiting beliefs are coming in about how your dad told you never be that successful. And these are the things to challenge. And then his body sort of accepted this energy in a really powerful way. And he ended up not having the knee surgery. He came two more times. Uh, we continued working on it. And he ended up just doing some physical therapy and, and being okay. So there was, you know, information I would hear before they arrived. And then it got to the point where I could channel on the spot. My spirit eventually taught me to hear the client's spirit. And then it got very specific and very direct about things. Hmm. Now, with the healing element of it, you're stating that you're hearing that there's a symptom. Are you directing because I, I'm a big believer in the placebo effect. I mean, there's I am no, too. no, no worries. I mean, I'm totally with you on that. Mm-hmm. I believe in um, amazing things can be done through hypnosis. Uh, we have Dave on board with this. I, I, I am having trouble with the gulf between a spirit telling you something. I at first thought it might've been a metaphor. No, I mean, it's, if you think about that, your, your soul, you know, incarnates to have certain experiences and, And I think we all get guidance. I mean, all of us have instances where we go, oh, God, I knew I should not have done that. And, you know, after the fact, we're like, I did it anyway. I pushed ahead. I did it anyway. And my gut was right. Whether we call it our gut, our instinct, our heart, our spirit, our higher self, our inner wisdom, whatever wording you give to it, we're 
we're all getting that guidance. Oh, sure. I, I believe in that. That's kind of your inner mind, things like that. That's not quite the same as, hey, how you doing, Eric? Um, got somebody coming over. They'll be here in uh, two hours and their right knee is going to hurt. I mean, it, th- there's a a bit of a divide. I'm not, I'm not trying to mock you. I'm just saying that, that yeah, I, uh, that's the part I'm struggling with. And now Dave may be able to jump in and help me with that too, because he studied remote viewing, mm-hmm. which is, well, I don't really know exactly what it is. I know it's some sort of <laughs> astral projection type of thing or so do you believe I'm, I'm not sure. Remote viewing? I think I, I'm not sure. Help me out, Dave. I, I, I studied remote viewing with a bunch of uh, naval officers at the Monroe Institute. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so here's something that I could add. I'd be curious to get your response to this. Uh, all of these very rational, right-brained people are having these very unusual experiences that they were getting information to which they weren't privy by virtue of being locally there where the information was. And so one of the things that they did was they brought in some scientists, physicists from Stanford, I think, I can't remember. And they described to us why this might work. And, uh, you know, basically they were describing in language that we could understand unified field theory and that all matter was energy. Uh And so there was this constant exchange of information that was non-local and that that everyone was capable of this because it was the nature of matter and energy. But some people had erected, you know, barriers to understanding it. What was interesting and parallel to what you're describing is the people who were best at remote viewing and getting Uh this very specific information were people that were taught to not immediately leap to conclusions and be open for as long as possible what this information was. And so it would sort of accumulate. When I hear you telling this story, I mean, you're describing using different language, what I've heard a lot of people in the past describe. You're describing it as kind of manifesting as a series of feelings or verbal communications to you or things that you hear. But I, it sounds to me like you're very adept at doing this thing that they were trying to teach people who are doing remote viewing, which is that if you saw something that looked like a wheel and spokes, you did not immediately say that's a bicycle wheel because you were cutting off information that would cumulatively build up until it was very accurate. So suspending analysis, like right brained conscious analysis of what you were getting. So to me, I, I hear this voice and I think that's a metaphor. And to me, that's this part of your mind or your unconscious mind that's working on, on evidence, either that you've gotten through whatever minimal contact you've had with them and or non-locally, which I believe is possible. It's like certainly consistent with my own personal experience. And, you're, and then you're manifesting that as a kind of conversation. Does does that have any uh, does that have any meaning to you? Does that sound consistent with your experience? When I teach people um, how to do how to do what I do, I teach classes in it. And one of the things I say is, imagine a satellite dish in front of you, and just let everything land there. So that speaks to what you were saying of you know, don't immediately say, oh, it must be a bike wheel, must be a bicycle, blah blah blah, and you're off and running. So, yes, not jumping to a conclusion and just 
having your, your information net open so that you're just gathering and letting stuff land there. Absolutely. You're going to get a fuller picture. You're going to be more objective that way for sure. In terms of where that information comes from, whether it is unified field theory, I think explains a lot from a scientific perspective. I also think there is some directionality in it in that when I'm sitting with a client, I'm not, I'm only picking up information on that client. And some people that I, some two students of mine went on to, I teach a short little bit on remote viewing and two of them actually went on to work for the U S government, moved to Washington, DC, said it was very boring because you had to fill up tons of paperwork and everything had to be double verified and blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) But they, they were able to, to recognize in just the short lecture I did on that, like, ooh, we really, this, this is fun to us. This is the thing we want to dive into. And, and so I think that there's, there's different ways to look at where that information comes from, how you specialize in it. I think we all have certain gifts. And mine happens to be being clear audience. So I hear more than see. I do get some visuals, but I hear more. And as to where, you know, who is speaking and that information, I suppose at the end of the day, my clients don't really care because they get better, <laughs> but, but sure. I'm pretty clear that it's their spirit because sometimes their spirit will say things like, well, it's just like that comment he heard his uncle make when he was seven in standing in the kitchen with his mom and, you know, specifics that I just have no way of knowing um, that will inform something that is, is triggering him then. Do you feel like you've gotten better at that? You say, you know, Yes. You're focused on just that individual. You're not getting information regarding other things, or are you sorting? Do you feel like you're sorting that out as it comes to you? I, I don't sort out like multiple, you know, people speaking to me at once, multiple spirits, but I sort out my own thoughts. If we go back to that example of like, okay, it's not a wheel, it's not a whatever, I, I will sometimes catch myself starting to make, jump to a conclusion about what a person's spirit is saying, and then I have to step back from that. I do. I have a couple of questions. Um, it's so funny you guys mentioned the unified field. So I was brought up in the transcendental meditation movement and John Hagelin was my physics teacher in college. So <laughs> a lot of background in <laughs> meditation and yoga. I you picked did. for this. You did. <laughs> but I also have a lot of experience with like uh, <clears throat> what I might refer to as, you know, charlatans that float around the new age world you know, and uh-huh. I mean, from a very young age, but also some great experiences with some really amazing people have different talents that might be outside the the norm um, in terms of, you know, health and seeing things, intuitive behavior, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So a really interesting take, I think, on this, which is that I've had some experiences I can't deny that I think are real and important. Um, where people surprise me with their ability to understand or see. Um, and then the, the exact opposite of that as well. My question was sure. more about how you define spirit. I, I listened to an interview with you and a couple of other things. And you use the word uh, like she and he said, almost like spirit is separate from the person. And I'm curious how you view that. Because if you say like to me, soul, and you know, this gets into lots of personal beliefs, which can span, you know, a multitude of of areas. But I'm curious how you see that, because it does sound separate from the person. Right. And I think my understanding of it is that we when when a a soul decides to incarnate, it, it acquires or is given for it has an ego, which is like a blank hard drive. 
And when you choose the parents you want to incarnate to, and I do believe you choose that your parents, you are. Oh, I up. What'd you say? <laughs> Everyone thinks they screwed up. I mean, I was supposed to be a trust fund baby. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Gee, I, I want a refund. That's right. But I think that when we choose that, the parents, we choose them based on the programming they'll give us, if you will. If you want to, you know, run Microsoft and Word or whatever. We, so if I want to have a fear of abandonment, I might choose some parents that are, you know, going to split up a bunch of times and, and this sort of thing. Or if I want to have a fear of illness to work through in this lifetime, I might choose a parent that has has played with the idea of, you know, can I interject and ask, because that's like uh, opens up a whole box of worms for me, particularly having grown up with a lot of thinking like that. Um, it's mm-hmm. a little maybe bit of a shiny red button for me. So this falls into okay. to me into that realm of new age thought where, I mean, you just labeled a whole bunch of beliefs that a lot of people don't believe. Like you choose your parents and you want to have an experience of having cancer, whatever it is. And I found over time that it's sort of like when you, uh, you know, one of your interviews, I heard you were talking about, you know, the thoughts and the thoughts set this person up to have a certain belief about their body. And then that opened the door to, to specific illness. And on the one hand, I can see, yeah. And on the other hand, I can see we have no proof whatsoever that we choose our parents or our experience. And I think it lays a lot on the individual in terms of, um, like if somebody works with you, do, do they have to believe all that? Because I certainly don't. They don't. They don't. And, you know, my not to be the smart ass, but I would say my my retort to like, do I have to believe in what you do is always like, well, you know what happens to people who don't believe in gravity? They stick to the earth anyway. It's, you know, it either works or it doesn't. And I always say, if you come to me for a session and you don't feel better afterwards, I'll give you your money back. And I've never had anyone ask for that. And, and you know, maybe there was the occasional person who didn't feel better and they were too too shy to ask for it. But I but I would say in general, I'm, I'm very pragmatic at the end of the day. And I don't want to just tell people things to, you know, kind of blow smoke at them and make them feel all woo woo. And like, isn't this all kumbaya? It's got to have practical application to me. So if you have a limiting belief about how you're holding yourself back in business and why you keep success away from yourself, let's, let's knock down that wall. I want to, I'm going to walk right towards it. I'm not going to like just tell you some platitudes about it. And then back to your question you know, that, that I started to answer before about the ego. I think you have, all of us have within us an ego that is expressed through the ego mind, that right brain part uh, that's logical, does deductive and inductive reasoning. And then I think we have a soul that is expressed more through our heart, but also through our brain. And I think in each moment, it's which one of those, those drivers is driving the bus, if you will, like how or which one are we leaning in towards? And when we're in meditation and we're really feeling that sense of oneness, I think we are we are leaning forward with our our soul, our essence, our spirit. And and I think when we're in a fearful place, when we're feeling guarded or protective or just running a bunch of errands and in that scattered place, we're more likely in what I would call our ego mind. And so me channeling somebody's spirit is about helping them plug into their deeper truth. And I would say one of the things that people say most often in a session is, Oh yeah, it's like I I almost knew that. I couldn't quite articulate it, but when you say it, I feel it through my whole body. And I always say to people, if what I say doesn't resonate, tell me. Like, I don't even own a cat. What are you talking about? Right? I want to know if I hear a word wrong and I go off on some tangent, I want them to correct me and challenge me on that. And and that's my take. My goal is to like help people get in touch with their deeper truth so they feel empowered, not to say you have to come to me, I'm going to fix you. 
So my standpoint on that is back to your original question of the he or she, the pronouns around the spirit. I think that your spirit is an essence in the essence of you. But when someone says, I'm not sure exactly what my truth is about this job, about this marriage, about whatever. And I really like my, I want to get in touch with my own. They don't say I want to get in touch with my own deeper truth in my gut or in my heart. So do they see their spirit as separate from them? Yes. And when I will say he or she, it's just whatever pronoun that person, whatever sex that person is right now. So if I, if I'm having a session with you, I'm going to say, well, your spirit, she says, because frankly, her voice sounds almost identical to your voice. It's just a higher, a little slightly higher vibration. And if I'm giving a session to Eric, I'm going to say, oh, your spirit, he just said, because if I said your spirit, she just said, he'd say, what? (laughs) And so people get, men get wiggy really fast if I use the wrong pronoun. And, and so in truth, I don't, I think a soul is a soul. I, I believe we've had many incarnations. And so we've probably been male and female and every nationality and probably lived in all the country. I mean, I don't, so I don't think your a soul has a true sex. Like there's male souls and female souls. I just tend to, for simplicity's sake, use the pronoun that corresponds to the person sitting in front of me. When you're inquiring of people, now you've mentioned extreme specificity. Are you always that specific or, and I bring this up because there's something called the Barnum effect. And Sometimes in asking questions, and I'll do it with people too. I'll just have an instinct and I'll start going down a path mm-hmm. and I'll ask questions and I can get really spookily close on them. But if I realistically step back, I go, well, I didn't necessarily ask something super specific. I asked something that was kind of down a path. I got a response and my instinct told me, hmm, there's something there. And then I might have gotten a little more specific. And then I got more feedback and things like that. So I didn't necessarily go right to that point of um, your sister drowned when you were four. Mm-hmm. I kind of just almost found my way there. Okay. And I would say when you say my instinct told me to lean into that line of questioning, say more about what your instinct is. Just um, hours of observation. I, I would say probably observation. I mean, it, you know, whatever reason I'm reacting now, you know, obviously there's more than one sense beside my sight. It could be, I hear a, a, a tremor in their voice. I notice their ear flicks. I, I don't know exactly how you put it all together, but something, my tuning fork just says something's there. Okay. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that um, to go a little further. Like I don't believe in the um, straightforward lie detection. I definitely subscribe to, um, Chase Hughes, who wrote the behavioral table of elements, like you can't say, oh, their arms are crossed, so this means that. I agree. No, you I have agree. to say the arms and this and that mm-hmm. and really look at multiple things. I agree. And and to answer your question, uh, there are times where it isn't that specific because I think there's the wow factor where what I think of like a parlor trick where I, you know, and and in my earlier days of my practice, I've been doing this almost 20 years, I could definitely be baited into showing off, you know, at a cocktail party and doing the parlor trick of like, well, I'm aware that your wife is divorcing you because she's sleeping with your best friend. I, and, you know, that's an asshole move. Excuse my friend. But I, you know, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing anymore. So I tend to focus in my session more on a generality to get the person to speak their own truth and come up with it. So to the outside observer, it, I'm sure there are times where it looks like, Oh, she's leading him along or she's leading that client along. And again, I always say to the client, like 
pay attention to how you feel because it is a combination of my powers of observation, the placebo effect, giving an energy treatment, and genuinely getting information that I should have no way of knowing. Now, you say your truth a lot. That, that was something that did stand out to me. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Because when you say your truth, that there's a qualifier of your, and then there's truth. Now, do you mean uh, truth as an objective fact, or do you mean truth as in the path of the arrow is true? I, I guess I mean a person's truth with a capital T, meaning how they really feel about something and not how they say they feel about it because they want to be politically correct or polite or not make waves in the family, that sort of thing. Okay, so it's their feelings and or their thoughts or emotions. Right. Okay, perspective, their perspective. That right. Would be. But I think when you're plugged into your truth, you are empowered. So when people come to me and say, you know, I'm trying to decide if I should leave this relationship or leave this job. Mm. I believe, my, this is my personal belief, they actually know what is best for them. So uh, the, I, it, it, part of this is like uncovering like Michelangelo, you know, sculpting, right? It's uncovering it's everything true. that's not that. So, you know, a, a client comes in and she's like, well, I'm thinking of, you know, this marriage isn't the best, you know, but I'm not really sure if it's so bad that I want to leave. And then it's helping that person process. And sometimes it's not her spirit saying, here's your truth about this marriage. It's asking a question. That was, that was actually a question I had. So technically then you aren't necessarily healing anyone with your own quote power. You are maybe helping them discover the path to their own healing. I think it's both. I think there are times. So just as a, for instance, a woman came to me once who'd had a severe allergic reaction to a medication and her doctor, she was at UCLA already. They had then sent her to other hospitals um, trying to figure out her whole face and chest area turned bright red. And it looked like she'd been like a chemical burn and it was, she ingested an, an oral um, medication, uh, I think for arthritis, some sort of inflammation. And, and it was just like this bizarre reaction, not on the books. Doctors didn't know what to do with it. She'd gone to several different specialists and as a last resort came to me, I'm always somebody's last resort, which is perfectly fine. And, and so her spirit said, you have to take this certain kind of seaweed, which frankly smelled horrible, boil in a water and lay it on there. And it's going to, the alkaline nature of that is going to stop the chemical reaction, reverse it. And I was like, I do not want to tell this lady that. That just sounds crazy. And I'm like, okay, the weirder it sounds, the more I know I am not making this up. So I shared it with her and she said, that does sound weird. And then she texted me and said, this stuff smells so horrible. Like my whole family left the house and I started boiling it. But then she called the next day and said, oh my God, my skin is like almost completely back to normal. She is is it time. possible you've read about that in the past or something? I mean, I, I believe that we do, you know, gather information over time and it might pop in our head. We don't remember. Maybe it's also been I, mean, 10 years ago. I can't say that's impossible that to happen. I just, I, first of all, I don't know where I would have read that, but but, you know, just, I think I have a number of things happen like that enough that when I get these kind of bizarre suggestions from someone's spirit. Hmm. So I had a, I have a celebrity client who's very well-known pop star. And, and um, when she had a baby, the baby had some sort of like this baby acne and everybody's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And she sent me a picture and said, do you get anything on this? I'm like, Ooh. That's like, looks like she's flushing something out that you're ingesting and she's picking it up. And I said, you know, show me, take a picture of your supplements that you take. And she sent me a picture. And I said, that second one from the right, 
it's got something in it that almost is like a heavy metal or something that's being flushed out through her skin. And she stopped taking it and the rash went away. Okay. So she was breastfeeding then. Yes. She was breastfeeding. Okay. And, and you know, you could of course say, Oh, well maybe it would have gone away anyway. And she said, I had tried everything. My, my pediatrician had tried, you know, so each of those things happen and no one thing I think proves what I do with absolute certainty, but thousands of, of clients who've come to see me over the last 18, 19 years, there's, there's sort of this body of evidence where I just try not to question it. I certainly double check and make sure I'm hearing something accurately, especially if it sounds kind of wonky, but those sort of things, I just, I'm left with a sense of gratitude. Like I'm just grateful that however it's happening, whether it's, you know, her spirit talking to me, whether I'm using some sort of ability to recollect something I read 19 years ago, I, at the end of the day, I guess I really don't care. And I'm not trying to be crass. It's just like, if this works, I'm able to help people, then that's where I go with it. So you see it as an Occam's razor, whatever the simplest thing is, it is. Yeah, I guess. We were, you know, not to roll right into it, but why not? Um, we were going to experiment with our friend Dave. <laughs> I forgot that I had volunteered. <laughs> now regretting that. I didn't even have to write it down. I remembered, so I don't know how you go about so that. Or... Is can, is there a like a chronic symptom that you would like to get some kind of insight on? Yes. Do you want me to say? Yes. Oh, okay. So uh, you had made the distinction before we started the show uh, to be thinking about chronic versus acute. Acute being something that would be over soon. Right. Versus chronic, something that doesn't show any immediate signs of going away. Right. Yeah. So uh, you happen to have said uh, uh, back pain. And I guess it's not that odd for a 59-year-old man to have chronic back, lower back pain. But I never did until very, very recently. So. Okay. Can you tell me approximately when it started? Uh, yes. Uh, um May of 2017. Okay. Anything significant that started in the month before that in your life? Uh, So uh, I should tell you it was precipitated by falling down some stairs. (laughs) (laughs) That's something that happened just before it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Definitely within the the month prior. I I can also tell you that there was something going on for months leading up to this that was very stressful. And then my daughter got married a month after it started. Okay. So there was something very stressful going on. Yes. Yeah. So when you said my daughter got married, your spirit, like I get a visual of your spirit waving his hand to the side, meaning that's not it. That's not a factor at play here. So even though that might've had stress and there's positive and negative stress, right? But even though that had stress, it doesn't feel like a contributing factor at all to that back pain. So I would say whatever the stressful event, and I'm trying to like maintain privacy here and stuff too, but whatever that's, whatever the stress. You don't have to worry about that. (laughs) People always say that until they don't. He likes to show off. (laughs) Okay. So let me just kind of tune into your back for a second. I mean, if you start feeling a unicycle or something, let's steer clear of that, but. Okay. I had a bad incident with a clown too, but other than okay. that, well, who didn't, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so the sense that I get is that what you described this very stressful time leading up to that is that you there was also self criticism going on in you of I should be able to figure this out, 
I should be able to handle this. I should, there was a self-criticism that I think had you, for lack of a better word, like kind of splitting your awareness, your attention, your power, your own sense of self. And, and I think part of, so when people fall or run into the wall, if I'm walking down the hall and I turn, you know, too soon and I hit my shoulder on the wall, there's that sense of being scattered. Um, and that you, that we really get kind of discombobulated or you walk upstairs and go, wait, why did I walk upstairs? So I think sometimes we, we try to focus in multiple directions or we shut down part of our own brain out of fear, out of self-loathing, out of beating ourselves up. And there is that sense here of whatever that stressor was, there was also this other layer of stress that you were putting on yourself. Of, I should, I should be able to figure this out. And, and I feel like whatever that, those kind of dual layers of stress were, culminated in, you know, when that fall happened, that we store stress in our body. Think of your body as sort of has like a map of different subject matters. And the stress that we store in our lower back has to do with feeling empowered, feeling disempowered, feeling smart, feeling stupid. Those sort of self-critical thoughts can store anywhere from like your stomach down to like second or third vertebrae. And so when we feel disempowered, like the classic, you know, being pulled over by a cop for speeding or something. When we feel disempowered, that area of the body holds a lot of negative energy, holds a lot of stress. And so this ongoing thing, and it felt like it was going on for more than six months, whatever this, this stressful event was for you, that situation was going on for more than six months. And after the second month, your spirit said you started then beating up yourself for not having had resolution yet. And so that stress then gets stored in that area of the body. So then when another factor comes in, like falling down the steps, it's very, very slow to heal. So now we introduce the negative aspect of the placebo effect, which is after we have especially back pain, but after we have certain types of pain for a period of time, we sort of, we sort of marry our diagnosis, right? I always say to people, you got to divorce your diagnosis because I, we, we, take on the Western medical viewpoint of, oh, well, I'm just somebody who now has chronic back pain. And, and doctors will even say like, you're going to have to get used to this. I mean, you are 55 or you are that, you know, and, and, and I think we, the body absolutely responds to the direction that the brain gives it. And I think once we sort of move into an acceptance mode of, yeah, I've, I've screwed up my back with this fall and I don't know that it's ever going to be totally right again combined with having a lot of stress in that area of the body. So it's already a quote weak area of the body led to that was like that perfect storm that led to that. I think Jenny would agree about the uh, diagnosis. Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, as far as pain in the brain goes, it's a very, you know, fascinating little thing. You have this virtuous and vicious cycles of neuroplasticity. And so if the injury is physically not there, but the pain remains, then essentially it's a brain problem that your brain has created a wonderful neural network for pain. And there's some really mm-hmm. fascinating treatments, which include um, every time you have pain in that area, completely refocusing like on art or any, anything that's interesting to you, music, writing poetry, um, whatever, anything that's different and will send that energy away from that neural network and start to build a new one and let the other one die off, which is actually takes a lot of attention and energy. Yeah, Joe Dispenza is doing a lot of work with that. You yeah. with his work? Yeah, yeah. There's, you Absolutely. know, pain clinics that exist at this point that don't use any drugs. 
you know, that they, they use the power of neuroplasticity, but it isn't easy to change your actual mind. <laughs> it takes effort, right? Yes, I agree. It's a lot of focus. I mean, but it took focus to get those neural pathways laid down. It makes sense. It takes focus to get them to, to rewire. Is that going into like, um, it's being misrepresented the quote, what is it? 30 something days is to establish a habit. It really should be like 80 something days on average to establish a habit because you're rewiring or recurving I don't think it's the just pathways. Days. I think, I think it's what Jenny said. It's the amount of focus. So it's, it's the 80 days just implies, well, you can just sit there passively. And as long as you count off the right number of yeah. days, I think it really is about how you're engaging the brain to create, to work with that. Like if you watch a baby okay. learn how to walk, for a few months, ah, constant work, constant effort, but they're having a great time and they never give up and they're always on the job. And like, that's us. We've all been a baby. And that's how we learn is that consistent, continuous effort. And you really can overcome many, many things just with that. But it doesn't mean that it feels good in, in the moment. It's well, that, yeah, it's that's hard. that whole um, Malcolm Gladwell being lazy about the ten thousand hour rule. <laughs> that it's not ten thousand hours; it's the deliberate practice. He forgot about the deliberate practice part. Well, I, and I think it also has to do with how we how we notice our beliefs about it, and therefore what we are gathering evidence of. A baby, to Jenny's point, a baby is watching all the people around it walk. So you're getting mm-hmm. validation every day. This is possible. This is possible. Keep trying. Keep trying. And it's, you know, gives much more credit to somebody like the Wright brothers who everybody said, you're nuts. That's never going to work. And they're like, well, I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. Right. Or, or somebody like Christopher Reeves, who was told, you know, you, you've got this, this severing of your spinal column. It's, it's never going to happen and actually starts regenerating nerve tissue and getting feeling in his feet and being able to do things. So I think mm. that has to do with how much of the, you know, the, the body of evidence against is there against what you're trying to do versus the baby who's seeing everybody around him doing this going, all right, I, you know, I've got something to, to model after and isn't getting evidence every day. People going, uh, you're just a baby. You're not really able to walk. Therefore you won't be able to walk. Right. So I think all those things are factors too, to your, to your 80 days or 10,000 hours thing is like, how, what kind of messages are we getting that are limiting beliefs or encouraging beliefs of that, that new neural network we want to lay down. I do. do you, I actually find that really fascinating because I don't think we're like, there's no portion of us that's separate whatsoever. And I think we're all intertwined, you know, just like if you look at the natural world and it's this, you know, I don't like using this word because it's really triggery for a lot of people, but holistic, but I mean that actually as it is mm-hmm. like a whole, like we're part of that whole, right. but like our whole self is part of that too. So like a baby might live in a household where everybody walks really well, but they also yell at each other all the time and they don't emotionally communicate well. So that baby is picking up on, there is no way to communicate emotions healthily. And it could be when they're 42 and they finally learn from a counselor or somebody like how that actually is going to go down. Um, I think it's really powerful. And I, I wonder about your work, like, our culture is maybe emotionally not the most mature or aware culture that ever lived. Probably that's just a guess from my point of view. Um, yeah. And like, fair. we're very external. Um, we want a lot of external validation want a lot of external solutions. And I feel like it, it sounds like to me and, and other people I know who sort of work um, in shamanism and this kind of thing. They're, they're really, they are doing the work that is validating the inner 
life of this person. And I really wonder, like, that's just such a need in our culture to find some place, some person that can help you feel felt and help you validate, like, no, I do feel like that. I do know what's right, the right path. Or, yeah, I, I absolutely think you're, you're right. I think, really, I think our greatest desire for most people now is to feel really seen and heard. And not because you get so many likes on your, you know, Facebook post or your Instagram post or whatever, but, but feel truly seen and heard. And, and in that way, it becomes validating, but to just have somebody, you know, share that experience. Like you said, if it's, if it becomes universal, it becomes validating, it becomes inclusive, you know, you, you lose that feeling of such separateness that, and that isolation then I think does create dis-ease in us mentally and emotionally, if not physically as well. Eric, if I could leap in. One, your audience may be wondering uh, if I have any feedback on whether you were close or not. I've been deliberately waiting to leave it as a cliffhanger. But you did did spectacularly well. Oh, thank you. Um, There was a very significant uh, attack going on. It was like nothing I had ever quite seen before. It was very complicated, involved governments. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're, the phrase that you kept using and coming back to as well as like disempowered or um, you used others, but you said, I should be able to figure this out, which is right on the money. There wasn't anybody else at least e- easily available to solve this problem. And I did keep saying to myself, I should be able to figure this thing out. We should be able to resolve this. And also it kept going on for a long time. Now I gave you some verbal clues that that was the case. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you should know is I worked at a hypnotic pain clinic many years ago. Mm. And uh, I, I used a technique which my superiors hated, but may also explain and be consistent and reconcile what the two of you were saying, which is, People would come in and they would describe chronic pain and be, and during the intake, they would have to say, well, where is it on a scale of zero to 10 where zero is not and 10 is a lot of pain? And I knew that they had answered that question, but when they came in, I would reframe it. I would say, oh, I know you've answered this before, but I'm going to do it a little differently. Where are you where zero is blissful, where you don't care and your body relaxes so much that you might, and be careful about this, just crap yourself. <laughs> so if you're not wearing a diaper, I don't want you to go all the way. And 10 is a searing pain where you beg me to kill you. And people would go, they would be shocked. And they were shocked out of their normal way of thinking right. about this pain. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, so where are you? And I'd say, now don't go too close to zero because that could be embarrassing. <laughs> they go, I'm at a four. Yeah, four is good. And I'd say, so I don't have to kill you. It's good. You're not going to poop yourself. Excellent. You're at a four. Now, this is going to hurt for a minute. Can you just imagine it going up a little bit? I might gesture. And they'd go, yeah, it's at a five. And I'd say, okay, now just take it back to where it was at the four and then just go a little bit lower. That's right. And here's what's interesting about that little technique, but it's very complicated and it goes to this neuroplasticity, is you just made them aware consciously that they are in charge of how that pain feels to them by where they place their attention. And you're making a suggestion that could get them to rehearse that in a kind of fun or interesting or different way. In fact, I'd make that suggestion to them. 
that, you know, they might even do it as they dream at night. And they might do it tens of thousands of times a night, which is back to your baby point. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying that if you listen to what all three of us are saying, they're, they're just, we're using, I think, different, slightly different language to explain a common experience. And what we're all saying is that you're serving as a way of getting them in touch with how they feel and possibly opening access to these new beliefs or ways of thinking about the experience they've had, which is very valuable. Or noticing, noticing an old you have that doesn't serve you like that i will say that the thing i kept hearing in your voice so your spirit was saying was i should be able to figure this out i should be able to figure this out so that that beating oneself up actually like they have studies of kids with add as soon as they start saying oh my god i should be able to get this the the electrical circuitry in the mind gets like reduced by 30 percent. as soon as you start putting that pressure on yourself and condemning yourself for not already having the answer you severely limit your ability to get the answer, right? So it becomes that self-perpetuating situation. And so your spirit saying that to me repeatedly was about saying this, it's time to, to notice that whenever you do that and try to drop that. And particularly in regards to this back pain of like, let's just think outside of the box with this. Again, I would imagine if you've done used hypnosis techniques, you've done different types of things at pain clinics using this power suggestion, then that makes me wonder if you're not doing the same thing yourself. Oh my God, I should be able to figure out this back pain and turn it down because I've taught other people to do it. Yeah, that wasn't the thing I was trying to figure out, but I hear what you're saying. I also <laughs> want to commend Jen for using, for, for realizing that she was going to use an expression that would trigger people and then bring it anyway, which is one of my favorite things. People need a little... They need to be shocked out of where they are. I'm being very mild here, for sure. Very mild. <laughs> there are lots of fun words we could be using. <laughs> well, this is awesome. And on that last eloquent point that uh, Dave, and that's why he's a keynote speaker, made, and Christine, um, do you cover this in your book, Christine? Um, I would think it's covered more in my, I did an online class that I released recently. It's on my website. That's about teaching people how to communicate with their spirit. And that is christinelang.org. Yes. Um, and the book is more, um, I would say every other chapter is a session. So people can kind of learn through other people's stories. And then the odd chapters or even chapters are what it's just kind of anecdotal things of what it's like to be a single mom and dating out in the dating world and raising two boys with these abilities. And there's a lot of humor in that. <laughs> and so the, that's the book is the book was more about, you know, teaching through entertaining um, as, as well as there's a, an index in there, kind of some symptoms you can look up and parts of the body and what they frequently represent in terms of emotional messages. Um, the course, the online course is really about, giving specifics of techniques of how to connect to your spirit, how to ask the right questions, how to be open for answers, that sort of thing, how to make sure you're not directing the answers as they come in. Well, fantastic. Now, Ginny, Ginny has a book and Ginny has That's a true. Yeah. My book is called The Primal Brain Solution. And it's basically lifestyle nutritional supplement interventions you can use to help heal your brain, especially from concussion and TBI. Um, but also from generalized brain fog and low function that's caused by various factors. So I've got that. And my podcast is the same name, The Primal Brain. And my website's jenniferaguilar.net. 
Thanks for asking, Eric. <laughs> of course. Now, Dave. Dave does everything. So what do you want to plug, Dave? <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, and not true. And none of it well. Uh, it's so well. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, One of my favorite things that I, I do is I wrote a book, Eric knows about this, years ago that Steve Forbes reviewed. And I wanted to call it How Interrogators, Hostage Negotiators, and Special Forces Operators Raise Great Kids. But the publisher didn't like that. So it's called The Language of Parenting, which <laughs> couldn't be more different. I'm now free, by the way, to, to call it whatever the hell I want, I guess. But um, uh, that is available through Amazon. The Language of Parenting, all you have to do is search The Language of Parenting and David M. Freeze. And you'll find it. And it is full of really very cool techniques. And Dave has a podcast, too, I think called In Top Form. In Top Form. I better go make sure that the producers have changed those numbers or it'll be whisked away. <laughs> well, hey, Christine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having fun. me. And Christine, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you're intuitive. You knew this was going to happen. So. <laughs> I knew it would be a rough ride. I was up for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, I'm Susan C. Bennett, the original voice of Siri. Randall Kenneth Jones likes to talk, and he loves to listen. Over the past few years, more than 100 people, celebrities, newsmakers, thought leaders, rock stars, journalists, artists, humanitarians, and more, have chatted with Randy about the ups and downs and the ins and outs of a life well-lived. So if you like conversation, laughter, and thought, Jones.show is for you. Subscribe for free to Jones.show on iTunes, Google, or your preferred podcast platform. Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 